I invite you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. So we're nearing the end of this uh, terrific letter. Uh, we're going to slow down just a little, looking this morning at verses um, 7 through 14, but we'll be picking up uh, verses 12 through 16, most likely uh, next, next week, Lord willing. Focusing this morning primarily verses 7, 8, and 9. But we're going to begin reading at verse 1, so we catch the flow of the text. Uh, I don't have an outline to, to hand out this morning. In fact, I really don't have an outline at all. I don't have three points. Uh, the text, there's a flow to it. Uh, let's, just, let's just let the text lead us. And um, so you can be impressed with the text, not by the impressive um, alliteration that I maybe uh, come up with. Let's pick, give our attention to God's word, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then our text this morning. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's ask his blessing on the word. O oh Lord, our God in heaven, now as we come, we, we come dependent. We do not have a spiritual wisdom in our own strength. We come needing Jesus to speak his word by his spirit so that, Lord, we hear the voice of our shepherd. And hearing that voice, we know and love him and follow him. And we'll give you the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to one of my favorite uh, lines in the book of Hebrews. It is good uh, for the heart to be strengthened with grace. And the, the title then of my message is Strengthened with Grace. It's good for the heart to be strengthened with grace. I hope you know that's true. I hope you know it's true experientially. Uh, I, I hope you, you know what it feels like when your, your heart is worn out by sorrow or weary with sin. I hope you know what it's like to, 
to come and uh, to a table of God's grace, whether through his word or in worship or in song, and you find the truth of the gospel once again, not just resonating with you as true, but, but it's, it's good for your soul. And you, you sense refreshment and nourishment and strengthening in your heart as you hear the gospel. I hope that's why you're here this morning. I hope you're here because it's been a long week. And, and you're hungry and you're thirsty and you, you want to hear a word from God. Uh, we honor God when we lift up the cup of salvation and call upon his name. Say, Lord, fill it up. We need to hear, once again, a word of grace. Uh, these, um, these, these feasts of grace, these riches of grace, are critically important as we are uh, given where we are and who we are. We're a pilgrim people. Uh, that's the letter uh, of, to, the, to the Hebrews has been all about, the pilgrimage that they're on. We're running a race. We're on our way to a, a better country. Here we have no lasting city. But there is a city whose builder and maker is God, a city with foundations. Uh, that's our native home in Christ. That's where we're headed. But now we're on the pilgrimage. Now we're on the way. And it is essential that our heart be strengthened with grace on the way or we're not going to make it. You will not survive. Uh, the, the, the road is just too long. You see, the way is too hard. The devil is too crafty. Your flesh is too fickle. Your faith is too weak. If you are not fed, if you are not nourished in your heart, in your inner man, with gospel truth, time after time after time, just like you eat a meal to, to nourish your body, if you're not eating the, the, the gospel of grace that nourishes your soul, you will not make it. I won't make it. You won't endure to the end. When the trials really come, when the heartbreak really comes, when the, when the persecution really comes, You'll buckle without grace. And so that's why we're here this morning, to be strengthened with grace. That's why we've opened God's Word. Uh, that's, uh, this is what we expect when we open God's Word. I hope you, you don't expect a lecture on religious truths or on some doctrinal, doctrinal intricacies, something to maybe amaze you or interest you mildly. I hope you come um, wanting grace, wanting the gospel again uh, to, to, be, to be ministered to you by Jesus Christ through the Spirit and His Word so that you can be nourished and strengthened. Well, how does that happen? Well, that's what verses 7 and following are about. Let's go look at verse 7 and just encourage you to keep your Bible open. We'll just be following it verse by verse. So he begins, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. As these dear believers are making their way along the pilgrim journey, they're reminded to keep their eyes on their leaders, men who have been gifted and called by God to feed them the Word of God. This has always been God's pattern throughout redemptive history. If you read your Bible, you recognize that God has always had men who spoke the Word and who led by the ministry of the Word. 
And he specifically says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. And, and there would be men that this congregation would remember, men who had come to them and spoke the gospel to them. We don't know who, uh, who planted the gospel here uh, to these folks, but undoubtedly the, the apostles were a part of that, either in person or as their uh, apostolic doctrine was, was taught to this congregation. So he's asking to remember Peter, remember Paul and, and, uh, and James and, and John. Remember the, the men who were their disciples and who brought the word to you. Specifically, remember and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Notice and, and consider what they pursued. What drove them? What made them tick? What did they, what did they hope for? What were they longing for? What did they trust in? What did they devote themselves to? Well, it doesn't take long at all to realize that what they devoted themselves to was, was not the things of this world. Uh, the apostles were not looking for earthly recognition. They weren't looking for earthly success or wealth or fame. They, they weren't looking for any of the things that the world can give. They were longing for a better country, that heavenly country. And so, and so Paul would say, one thing I do, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's his manner of life. I'd like you to turn to Philippians, actually. There's a text there that, that fits perfectly here as we think about uh, the leaders and Paul being one of them. Philippians chapter 3, where Paul testifies uh, about what made him tick, what he was looking for forward to, what he, was, what he was pursuing. Philippians chapter 3, he talks about all, that he, all the privileges that he had, the, his nice religious resume that he had when he was a Pharisee. He had a great resume, and yet it was worthless because there was no Jesus in it. And so he says in verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He says, verse 12, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Uh, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. And so that's the thing that uh, the writer to the Hebrews, it's exactly what he's saying. Uh, remember your leaders who had the same confession. One thing I do, and I have not obtained it. Uh, 
Pastors and leaders aren't people who've arrived and now talk down to the, the, the masses, the unwashed, to try to help you, um, you know, make your way up. To, it's not it at all. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. And that by the grace and patience that God displayed towards me, you, the, the less uh, chief sinners, you, you might have this encouragement and good hope. What does the writer want us to see? He wants us to imitate their faith. Specifically, he wants us to see how they held on to Jesus. It's not the, it's not the leader, ultimately, that he wants them to see. He wants them to see um, how they lived and the outcome of their, of their life and their, their faith. Notice how they held on to Jesus. Read Paul and, and, and ask yourself, what makes this man tick? Why was he willing to give away all the privileges that he had and embrace all the suffering and persecution that he experienced? Why was he willing to do that? Why was he happy to do that? Well, he tells us for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Why was Moses, Hebrews 11, willing to give up the riches of Egypt? Because he counted it as nothing compared to the surpassing glory of Christ. You see, friends, it's a, it's a hard journey we're on. It's not easy. It doesn't get easier. A sin is constantly bedeviling us. The devil will never give up. The flesh is never going to be our friend. The world is never going to be an ally for your eternal happiness, ever. And there's heartache, and there's devastating loss. There's confusion. So how do you do this? And the writer says, well, look around. Notice you're not doing it alone. And ask the question, how did, how did others do it, specifically leaders? How did David do it? Well, read the Psalms, and you'll see how David did it. He cried out to God, and he put his hope in his word. How did Paul do it? He kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. How did Peter do it? He kept thinking about the, the joy that was set before him. He kept thinking about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and the day of the Lord that was, that was to come, where Peter, the great sinner, the failure, would be welcomed and received. How did, if, if you grew up in a Christian home, how did, your, how did your parents do it? How did your grandparents do it? Well, the answer is always going to be the same. They weren't perfect people. They struggled with sin, with doubt, with fear. How did they keep the course? Well, they... By the grace and goodness and power of God, they kept coming back to Jesus. They kept coming back to Jesus. And here's why that is very, very good news. The writer goes on, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That is magnificent news. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That all the truth of Jesus that we read about in Scripture... All the promises that are, are, are given by God the Father through Jesus that we find in Scripture, they're just as true today as the, as the day they went down on, on the parchment. So it, it's the same Jesus that you see that, that Paul wanted to know and, and that Paul saw and Paul believed in and trusted in and, and proclaimed. It's the exact same Jesus that is ours today. He hasn't changed 
The Jesus you read about here is the Jesus that is your Jesus, the Jesus that is available to you. I think we can have a temptation when we read the Gospels and we read about Jesus healing the sick and having mercy on, on the outcast and raising the dead. And we say, I, I want that Jesus. I, I like the, the Jesus that comes uh, in, in, in the, the immediate personal crisis and fixes it. And the writer says, yeah, that's the Jesus I'm proclaiming to you. And so if, if he's not just fixing the crisis, then the question we ask is, what is he up to? Because he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He's the same. The Jesus who died on the cross for sinners is the same Jesus that you can go to today as a sinner and be washed in that same blood, be forgiven the Jesus who rose triumphantly from the grave, victorious over death. That's the Jesus you get to go to anytime you like, on your knees, and cry out to him and trust him. That's the Jesus that's the same today and the same forever. That's the Jesus that we're going to meet when he comes on the clouds of heaven. He's not going to be changed in any way. He's going to be this holy, holy Beautiful, glorious Jesus that John saw in the book of Revelation and fell down on his face to worship the glory of Jesus. That's the Jesus that is ours today. I think it's incredible good news. What a comfort as you think about your own spiritual pilgrim journey and the journey of your, of your children and the journey of your grandchildren. Jesus doesn't change. And so the same Jesus that brought all the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the same Jesus that has carried, uh, if you've come from a Christian lineage, your parents and, and grandparents and maybe great-grandparents, the, the same Jesus who is sufficient for them is sufficient for you. He doesn't change. And therefore, you see, we have, we have the same food that the apostles had. We have the same food that all the heroes of faith had available to us because Jesus doesn't change. And we need to remember this because there will be strange and diverse teachings, verse 9, that suggest Jesus has changed. And that the Jesus we read about here in the Bible, uh, well, he has a certain cultural uh, flavor to him, and we need to separate the cultural flavor, or we need to separate Jesus uh, sort of uh, as we find him in Scripture and, and recognize that he's somehow different today. He's more in touch today with, uh, with, with what our culture values, with our sexual ethics, with our, um, j just our consumeristic values, right? We can, we can just sort of... Uh, reshape Jesus in our own mind. Well, he doesn't change. Now, don't be led astray by strange and diverse teachings that suggest Jesus is something other than what you find on the pages of Scripture. But specifically, he's writing to these Hebrew Christians who are tempted to go back to Judaism, and he reminds them, if Jesus is our food, well, well don't be led away by diverse teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So verses 9 through 14 might seem a little strange to your ears. I mean, he's, he's talking about altars and tents and sacrifices and burning animals. Uh, but the original audience, of course, they know this language perfectly well. They come from that background. They're, they had previous, previously practiced the Judaism. They were Jewish uh, believers. And so they knew all about these ceremonial sacrifices 
And they were being tempted, you see, to go back to Judaism because, well, it was it's where their family was. It's where their, that was their culture, that was their home. That, that, that's where they had been brought up and nourished. And, and now they've been kicked out of all that. It's very tempting. It's incredibly tempting. But you see, the writer is saying it's a dead religion. That food, the food of the Jewish religion, isn't food anymore. It was food then because it pointed to Christ. It called people to Christ. But now that the reality has come, now that Jesus, actually the great sacrifice of God, has been offered up, why would you go back to the shadows which have been uh, put away instead of coming to Jesus Christ, the reality of it? You see, the, the, the old is gone. The new has come. And so his point is what it's been through the whole book. Friend, look to, look to Jesus. Go to Jesus. There's no other food able to sustain your soul. It is good for the heart to be strengthened with grace. We live in a culture that prizes physical strength. And physical strength is a gift that God gives. But it's not sufficient for what we're about. Physical strength is not going to get you to that better country. What is necessary, you see, is heart strength. The strength of the inner man. The, 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 in a sense, the, um, the, the you that is the source of your life. Where it's, where it's the source of your emotion, the source of your will. The fountain out of which you speak and act. You see, if, if your heart is weakened by sin or infected with unbelief, the, the truth is you maybe believe things up here, but it hasn't become functional faith. Well, that's going to manifest itself because you live out of your heart. And so you're going to speak angry words and bitter words and gossiping, slandering words, self-pitying words, maybe self self-condemning words, whatever. But that's, that's all coming out of this sickness. Your perverse thoughts come out of this sickness. Your fear of letting go of things uh, and trusting in the Lord. It's all coming out of this, this infected, weak heart. It's good for the heart to be strengthened. Do you want your heart strengthened? Wouldn't you love to have this... The courage to speak freely to people about Jesus? Isn't it true that the reason we don't is because we have a weak heart? We're just not confident in the goodness of God. We fear men. We fear what they think. Don't you wish you had the strength maybe to break free from a destructive habit or a sinful relationship? You know it's wrong. You maybe wept over it. But the habit or the relationship is just too powerful, it has too great of a hold on your life? How's that going to change? The only way it changes, friends, is from a strengthened heart. Don't you desire the strength to love Christ and to trust Christ, no matter how painful or scary or, or hard the circumstances of life might be? Do you look into the future and say, if that happens to me, I just don't know if I could stand wouldn't you love to be able to say, if that happens to me, my heart has been so strengthened with grace, so confident in God, that I don't know, but I think, I know, I'm convinced that he will sustain me, and I don't need to be afraid. 
See, I think in the, in the heart of every, of every true Christian, there's this hunger for spiritual strength, for heart strength. And, and, and if you don't have that desire, if you don't, if you don't long for that strength to speak up for Christ and that strength to love even your enemy and, that, and the strength to, to go to war with, with sin. But I don't think you're a Christian. Because I don't know how the Holy Spirit can be in you and not give you that new hunger. I think the, the essence of a regenerate heart is, is a, at one time your heart hungered and longed for these things, and, and now you find there's a new hunger in you. At least that's the evidence of a regenerate heart. There's a new hunger. I, I want to know Jesus. I want, I want my life to matter for Jesus. I hate wasting my time on me. I hate being enslaved to the power of sin and the devil. That, that's what happens with regeneration. And, and the wonderful good news, you see, there's a miracle food which is able to strengthen the inner man, strengthen the heart. And it's called grace. It's called grace. The grace of God has the, the power, the ability to transform your life because it has the power to transform you from the inside out, transform what you love, what you hunger for, what you desire, what you delight in. Religion can't do this. That's his point in 9 through 14. Religion simply does not have power. You can eat the food of the sacrifices of the, of the Jewish offerings. You can eat that all day long. It'll never give you the power to change. It, it, it won't give you the power to say uh, no to a besetting sin. It won't give you the power to love your neighbor, much less your enemy. There's no strength there. John Newton put in a, just a memorable little phrase, run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither heart nor hands. There's no power there. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That's what grace can do. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.17, because it is the power of God unto salvation. In Acts 20, verse 32, as he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, he'll never see them again. But he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There's power in grace. And, and not grace as a sort of general, generic favor of God. It's a very specific thing, a very personal thing. It is very specifically God's action toward you, the sinner, in Jesus Christ, the Savior. That's God's grace to you. That's the word of grace. That's able to build you up. That is the food of grace. That's able to strengthen the inner heart. That's the point of, you see, verse 10 and following. These, these, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. See, in the, in the Old Testament system, the priests, the Levites, they got to do the really spiritual things. They got to go into the tabernacle or the temple. They got to offer the sacrifices, and they got to eat some of the food of those sacrifices, and only the priests... The common man couldn't do that. Only the priest had that privilege. And the writer here is saying, well, we've, every single believer has vastly superior privileges. 
We, we have the, uh, an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Because the only way you get the right to eat at this altar is by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what's the altar? The altar is Christ's death. That's the sacrifice that matters. That's, a, that's the altar we get to come to and we get to participate in. Paul says Romans 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is not the, 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 uh, the bread that we eat. It's not a participation in the body of Jesus Christ. It's not the wine we drink, a participation in the blood of Jesus Christ. That as we, as we come to the cross in faith, we are laying hold of, you see, all that God has offered to us in Jesus, forgiveness and reconciliation and justification and sanctification and glorification. This is the table that God has spread for you in the presence of your enemies. The gospel, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the kindness and mercy of God to rescue you, to save you. The Bible unabashedly talks about saving you, the sinner. That's why Jesus came. That's what it's about. That's what grace is for. And so the question for you and for me is, what are we eating spiritually? What do you feed yourself when you're depressed, when you're tired, when you're sad? Alcohol? Pornography? Ice cream? Entertainment? What food are you pursuing? Relationships? Success? And after you've eaten those things, how satisfied are you? You're not satisfied at all. They can't feed your soul. You know, the, the truth is, friends, that we all have really hungry hearts. We were born that way. We can't help it. And unless you've just have gone dead and numbed your own heart and soul, you have a hungry heart. You've got deep longings and desires that cry out to be satisfied. You long for deep intimacy. You long for genuine love. You desire comfort and significance and identity. You feel that deeply. And every temptation, you see, is the devil, the world, the flesh offering satisfaction for that hunger apart from Christ. Has God really said, try this? And so the gospel stands, you see, in the middle of a world that's lost and confused and is, is empty, starving spiritually, stuffing themselves with materialism and eroticism and, and all the stuff that this world offers, and none of it lasting, none of it satisfying. And the gospel stands in the middle of that world and says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened with grace. To be satisfied with all the love and kindness and truth of God for you, the sinner in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but it only happens, it only becomes food when you actually come to Christ in functioning faith. It doesn't happen just by osmosis. It's not going to happen by being aware of uh, theological truths or Bible stories. There are countless people who grow up in the church and, and never find food there. 
It happens, you see, when the Holy Spirit comes and makes, you sense the need and the, 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 the heart, the hunger of your heart, and then you, you, you find a promise of God and you take and receive that promise and it becomes food that changes you. This is critically important. It's exactly, an example of that is found just a few verses ahead, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the mon- love of money. Well, how did love of money get there? Who taught you how to love nice things? Who taught you how to hunger for comfort that money can provide and for the status that money gives? Who taught you that? Well, nobody had to teach you that. You were, you're born with that, a twisted, warped sense of what matters and how to be satisfied. Well, how do you get rid of money love? How do you get rid of, of really wanting, you see, a little more and really wanting the nice things the neighbors have? Or just wanting, you see, just a little more. How do you actually gain contentment, I mean happiness, satisfaction with the little that that you have? Well, the Bible says there's a promise for you. A promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. And that promise will lay there on that page, you see, dead and cold and of no use to you unless you take that promise up and say, this is what my God has promised to me, that he, the living God, maker of heaven and earth, he knows me. He cares for me. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so if the Lord is for me, you see, who can be against me? I do not need to be afraid. You you need to take up that promise so that you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. But if you never get to confidently saying, the Lord is my helper, you see, it just means you, you haven't taken the promise. Not really. It takes, you see, heart strength to break free from the love of money. It takes heart strength to break free from your hunger for comfort and security and, and pleasure that money promises. It takes, it takes heart strength to be contented and then to give money away. It takes heart strength. But when you take the promise of God and, 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 and embrace it and receive it to yourself, that you have, you have God, you see. What can money give me when I have God? At his own word, at his own promise. And when you accept that, then you look at people and you say, well, why should I be afraid of that guy? He's made out of dirt just like me. And the moment my creator removes his hand, he's, just, he's, he's a wisp of smoke. I don't need to be afraid of him. I need, I need to love him. I need to care for him. You see, friends... To be strengthened with grace only happens when you take the reality of what God has done and accomplished in Jesus Christ and you apply it to yourself. But you get to do that anytime, any place, for exactly the things that you're facing. Let me just wrap with a, just a quick, just personal illustration. I, I could give you many more, and, and so many of you here could give exactly the same illustration. But just how does this actually work? Well, a few months ago, I was noticing that I was having um, difficulty remembering things, and, and uh, my wife could probably tell you that story better than I can. But I know that goes along with aging. People uh, nod knowingly when I say I'm much better at forgetting than I used to be. 
But it, was, it just seemed a little extreme. And, um, and I tend to overthink things, and I can be a little melodramatic. And so I'm thinking, well, what if I get Alzheimer's or dementia? What if I actually lose my memory? And I wouldn't be able to do ministry. And I wouldn't really know who I was. And I would, I would forget um, my own wife, my family. It, it just struck me really for the first time what an awful thing it is to lose your memory. And it happens to people all the time. And there's no reason it shouldn't happen to me. And I just sensed a darkness about that. Where, where do you find light when you can't remember? And so I, I was anxious and I wasn't able to sleep. And I got up and I, I turned the light on and opened my Bible and it came to Psalm 139. And I read this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I just want you to sense what a... What incredible, what incredible good food that was, just for my poor little anxious heart. Even the darkness is not dark to God. That means you see that it doesn't matter what darkness you might find yourself in, the darkness of devastating loss, the darkness of depression, the darkness of physical or, or mental disability. It's not dark to God. You might not able, be able to see, but, but God can see. I might be in the dark. You see, this is what, I th what, what, what this verse said to me. In Jesus Christ, you see, I might be in the dark, but I'm not lost. I'm not hidden. I'm not alone. Where could I go to escape the spirit that is, that is mine in Jesus Christ? Where could I flee from his presence? And that became food for my soul, food for my heart. So I don't have to be afraid of Alzheimer's. I don't have to be afraid of dementia. I don't have to be afraid of whatever darkness God has in store for me, and you don't either. Friends, I just encourage you to take the reality of your life and the reality of this word, all the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, and feed on them. Just feed on them. Open your Bible. Go to the Psalms. Go to the epistles. Because you can be strengthened by grace in Jesus Christ. Find yourself a good devotional. Uh, find yourself a, a good friend who maybe you can sit, you sit down and they can help you study the word. Get into a good Bible study where they, where they open the Bible and they pray together. Come to church ready to feed on grace. Come in, in whatever form you do it. Come to see Jesus. Daily, hourly, Come to see Jesus. Friends, grace is what we find when we come to Jesus. John says we've seen him full of grace and truth. So come to Christ, trusting his perfect life as your righteousness. His sacrifice as the atoning blood that washes you clean and robes you in righteousness and makes you right with God forever. That you can never be more loved than you are loved now. You can never be more righteous in God's sight than you are in Jesus Christ. 
Trust in his power to hold you fast. Trust in the fact that your God knows you where you are right now, every circumstance, and that he's orchestrating something good, something beautiful. And he's willing to feed you grace as you take his promises and trust in him. It is good for the heart to be strengthened with grace. May God grant him. Amen. Well, God in heaven, I, I thank you that you feed us bread from heaven as we open your word. Lord, we are hungry people, and we've tried to satisfy our hearts in a thousand sinful ways. Lord, I, I pray that your word this morning would, would be light in a dark place, that there would be hope maybe where there's despair. There would be peace where there's anxiety and fear. There would be joy where there's only sadness. There would be life, Lord, where maybe this morning there was death walking in. That you would wake us up to the glory of our Savior and the food that we have in him. And on this pilgrim journey, Lord, we could confess that it's hard and it's, it's confusing and it's sometimes scary. And there's heartache and loss and grief, but, but there's food for our souls that can satisfy and that can strengthen. And as we eat that food, we will endure to the end. As we eat that food, we will be strengthened and we will, we will bear fruit for the glory of God. Lord, may that be our hunger. May that be our desire. And then, Lord, as we come to Jesus, may we find all those promises to be true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.